Welcome back to Nerd Erotic. It started. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in the world's squeakiest chair. <laughs> I have to remember to not move in the chair or to be sitting up in the front of it. Here, let me push this a little closer. Yeah, we're, we're... Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Middle Earth Mixer. Uh, today, we are going to be doing a review of the first episode of The Rings of Power. I have one of my best friends with me here. Josh Devin, some of you know him from Twitter. Josh, say hi to the people. Hello, people. And I am very excited today to talk about Lord of the Woke, Rings of Female Empowerment. Make sure to like and subscribe to my generic pop culture hate uh, channel. And you've never read where the books. We, we talk about things in pop culture without consulting the source material, and we get on the hate train. And we complain about it. Yes. Galadriel and should smile more. Mary Sue, anyone? I mean, that's kind of that's kind of the way that we do it. Um, <laughs> that is a joke, um, by the way. But we're, so we're making fun of the grifters, who have clearly never read any of the source material and don't care about the source material. And we're not saying, you know, some of the points that certain people make are, are wrong or right. It's just... Those, those types of channels do make... Some of them, I should say. Some of them do make some valid points... Um, when it comes to critique of writing, some of the channels that actually do consult source material do make some valid critiques in terms of discrepancies between authorial intent versus how it's done in film. But I do think a large amount of them have been like squeezing the juice out of the orange of Rings of Power hate for months, like literally since it was announced. There's channels that have been uploading, you know, a video a week on the latest rings of power hate news um and now that it's out even after they've watched it I, I think some of them are kind of just doubling down because you don't do six months of hate videos and then turn on a dime and say actually the show isn't as bad as i thought my lip is bleeding so much right now because <laughs> i just picked a scab off <laughs> yeah i see it <laughs> don't get it near um a, a sauron's sword or it'll suck it right up into it <laughs> all right let's um I, I guess we should start... <laughs> it's literally... won't stop. Um, cut it. Cut that. Cut that. Cut it. Cut it. To cut that out. <laughs> All right, folks. We're back. We had to take a quick break because um, my lip was bleeding profusely in a way that didn't make sense. But that's not happening anymore. So let's... Josh, let's talk the rings of power. I did a thread on Twitter of kind of like, it was like my next day thoughts. I had a lot of, uh, I had a lot of deli meat in me, you know, the night that I watched it. <laughs> so you had the meat sweats time. going. <laughs> we made a charcuterie board. Um, the Tony Soprano meat sweats. Just, <laughs> just staring at the Coca-Cola. Um, so, you know, my initial thoughts obviously were like, I was going through, like I said on Twitter, and I was ticking off everything in my head that, you know, I thought I was wrong with the lore wise. And, um, you know, I can do that and also still think something is competent. Mm -hmm. um, I think the overall rating I would give to both episodes, because I'm kind of taking them both as, even though we're, we're mostly going to be talking about the first episode, just because, you know, we want to do a thorough job doing it but I'm taking them both kind of as one thing you know because they were released together and it's hard to even mentally it's hard to separate the two because I think you and I like probably 99% of the people that are going to watch this you're going to watch one episode one ends and you're going to go right into episode yeah. two and I would give them I would give them like a seven 
on like a scale out of 10. Yeah, um, I, I would teeter between a 6 or a 7 if I right, had to assign yeah. a number. Uh, I think the cinematography, like we talked about, is incredible. I mean, every single it, shot. The cinematography the cin- yeah. is very tasty. The cinnamon is good. Yeah. And every, like all of the scenery, I mean, you know, uh, New There Zealand really weren't any... There really weren't any scenes. You can where, see the money on screen. Yeah, when you're there watching. really weren't any scenes where the CGI like looked off. Like, like any moments, like right. eh, that looks a little bit, a little bit fake, a little bit like a video game. There really weren't any moments like that. Yeah, um, and it's tough for me, really, because I'm like, I have to separate the lore decisions with. Uh, do I actually think that this is a good product? You mm-hmm. know, that can sell. Um, and if I'm asking myself, do I think that this is a good product that can sell? I think that there's a lot of potential with the storylines. I think that they have a lot of different pathways that they can take. Different, um, There's so many different directions that they can go in that'll be interesting. Uh, I will say that the first two episodes were slow. You know, real it's slow. Story-wise... There is not much like like if you were to just ignore the characters and just yes. and just say what happened story wise in the first two episodes. Not much. Not really anything. Yeah. Um. Like to compare it to we're we're watching House of the Dragon right mm-hmm. now. First two episodes of House of the Dragon, plenty of things have happened. You it, know, it's, yeah, it has a very there's steady a pace of, of things happening. And you know, I'm not comparing them because they're both fa- fantasy. I'm comparing them because I'm just happened to be watching them both right now. I do think that a lot of people that are watching one, um, whether or not they're a fan of the other, will probably check out the other though. Yeah. You know, you might be a Game of Thrones fan and never have seen Lord of the Rings. I'm sure you will hear the buzz about it if you, and you'll probably at least check it out assuming you have the subscription. All right. Well, I think now that we've kind of done some initial thoughts, um, we should definitely start chopping this up. Yeah. Let's jump. Let's, let's just jump right into it. Intro. What'd you think? And I'm talking about the backstory. Like like the... Um, As a casual viewer, what did you think of that? The montage or just the... In Valinor? In Valinor, that little sit-down that she has with her brother. Yeah, um, so in, in Valinor... They talk about the, the rock. and the, uh, I think, unsurprisingly, um, they went for a little bit of like a callback to Lord of the Rings. Uh, in terms of you have your, you know... I don't know. I don't know who did the narration for that. Um, if it was Gladriel or not. It was Gladriel. Yeah. yeah. Which again, call back to Lord of the Rings. Gladriel narrating the opening. Yeah. Um, and that was fine. But I, I'm. I think one of the difficulties with a show like this is where do you start? Um, because oh, yeah. <laughs> because there's. I mean, you're talking about like a whole age, and there's so much, so many directions you can go. Like, where where do you start your story? So I think centering on a young child, Galadriel was fine, especially when you get to see Valinor. The only thing that struck me as a little bit odd is Valinor is supposed to be like heaven for like the elves, which we'll get into this later because this is a point of contention between someone who knows the lore a lot and someone who doesn't, right. and me not understanding something that is pretty important to the series. Um, but just for the beginning part, um, it, it's supposed to be like elf heaven. And I was just, I was like, are you, is there like allowed to be like asshole children in heaven? Just like ruining it for other people. Cause the kids like, she's like making a boat and the kids like, that'll never float. And it's like, 
I can chuck a stick in the water and it will float. Right. <laughs> like, like this, does this kid not realize like most things will float if you just throw it in the water? Um, especially if it's in the shape of a boat. Yeah. Um, and that, like, and then he's like, <laughs> what is he? He goes, I told you. I t- <laughs> like, yeah. Cause you threw a rock at it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, geez, don't be such a, a little brat. Like, <laughs> You know, this is supposed to be like heaven. Like, can't someone just like make a boat and just throw it down the stream? Yeah. So, what's uh, interesting about Valinor is that like it's essentially um, it is the absolute best like the created world can possibly be. But that doesn't necessarily mean that bad things can't happen there. We know that like Morgoth destroys the trees. Um, Morgoth, because of the song that he sang at creation spun evil into the world like with his melody and his discord so mm-hmm. there really isn't anywhere that you can go with so it's not like a pure place it's i mean, I mean like it might be like from a creation standpoint the purest point you can reach yeah like while still existing within the bounds of the physical world because evil is sown into the world so there isn't really anywhere that you can necessarily go where it's going to be 100 percent perfect all the time mm-hmm. but valinor is the closest thing to that um well, then after her boat gets sunk, we get a little scene with her brother, um, which immediately uh, took me out of it. They have an interesting little philosophical discussion. Which is and interesting. I feel, I feel like torn about it. I had to rewind to re-listen to their philosophical discussion because I could not take my eyes off the fact that this elf had a fade. <laughs> um, and and I, that sounds like a joke. But I texted Evan, like, at the moment that I paused it, texted Evan. I was like, where does an elf get a fade, bro? I was like, do they have wah clippers in Middle-earth? Like, barbershop. Like, I can understand, like, you know, some of the elves have, like, kind of stylish, medium-long hair. But, sure. like, but like a fade? Like, yeah. and, I, and I get it. Some of the other characters have short haircuts, too. But it's just something about it. Because that was the first instance of, like, a fashionable hairstyle on, yeah. in Middle-earth. And that was like a little jarring. <laughs> so I think for me, I'm looking, I'm looking out for the philosophical underpinnings of the story that they're trying to sell me, right? And like how rocks can sense the direction of light. And right. Up and well, down. he has this really great quote that I kind of immediately enjoyed when she said, um, she's basically asking him, and I'm, I'm, I might be misquoting it, but she's essentially asking him how do I know like the right choices to make? Yeah. So and, I think what she, the line was, was he had said that, you know, rock sinks because you know, it looks down. Yeah. It's looking um, down. and, and the boat looks up towards the sky. And then she had made some comment about how sometimes when the stars are reflected in the water, it's hard to tell which way is towards the light. Yeah. And that was kind of like the, the philosophical beginning. So what I did like, or what I did like in that exchange is when, she said, oh, you know, that seems so simple. And he said, the most important truths often are. Love that. That's mm-hmm. like, those are like, those are the things that I'm listening for and what I want to hear in a Tolkien story. Because mm-hmm. the answers really are simple. They're difficult often. You know, they're not mm-hmm. always easy, but they are simple. Well, well the, So the, that's what I appreciated. However, they also kind of had this other like nuance take with it where it was like, sometimes you have to like, he says something like sometimes you have to Some, touch the dark. Yeah, you have to you touch can, the dark to know, know the difference, I guess. What the difference is. And because later in the episode, 
she remembers that quote before jumping off the boat. And we can talk about that later. But she remembers that quote before jumping off the boat. Mm. Um, Spoiler warning. Yeah. <laughs> she jumps so, off of a boat. What I'm thinking is that, like, how I took that quote, because when you put it in the context of she recalls the quote as she's jumping off the boat, is, like, the answers of what's right and what's wrong are, like, those are, those are simple. Mm-hmm. However, like, you, you need to know when to make the right decision at the right time. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how I took that. Like, her jumping off the boat wasn't necessarily right or wrong. It was a just a decision that she made in that moment. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm hoping, you know, the show meant by that. Because... I'm hoping it's not going there for this... There is a nuance. I'm it's hoping, either yeah, good or evil. I'm hoping it doesn't go for this kind of modern um ambiguous morality right. thing we don't where, where it's like oh the difference between good versus evil is not really absolute it's just a matter of like perspective and like and like because i could totally see how they if they they could take it that way and they could say well you know if if the light is the good and the dark is the evil um that that it's a matter of perspective because the the stars in the in the water um, look bright too. So that the evil might look like good to your right. to your view. And I I, I think <clears throat> that that would not be fitting with how Tolkien wrote. Yeah, and um, I'm, Lord hoping, of Rings. I'm hoping that that's not how they meant it. And I mean, if you really want it like to put it in basic language, it almost sounds like you could hear what he's saying as. Sometimes you got to do a little bad before you really know what's good. But I do, I have to believe that that's not what they meant in that delivery. Yeah, and especially that, since it was predicated with the the most important truths are actually very simple. Yeah, yeah and it's it's um it's a vague enough quote that I it's it's hard to read too much into it, especially even you know like like we said a second ago. Um Story-wise, not a lot happens in the first two episodes. So it's hard to take that quote and, like, look at what's happened so far and see what they were trying to mean by it. Because um, we still don't have a ton of context when it comes to Galadriel in terms of how that yeah. impacted her. Um, but either way, it's you know, just a, a little philosophical quote. Maybe it means something. Yeah. Maybe it, it doesn't. Maybe it was just meant as, you know, a, a setup for the payoff of her deciding... To jump off the boat, which happens later. Yeah. All right. So next we got, um, we see the trees get destroyed and we get that nice. A great montage. Yeah. Clouded figure of Morgoth kind of rising up over it, which I'm not going to lie to you guys. I love that. Like I nerded out, um, you know, because of the stuff that they had the rights to, I really didn't think that they were going to touch much of the first stage because it's just so complicated. Mm. And... I really appreciated that intro. There were things I'm going to get into in a second that I didn't agree with, but for the most part, I really enjoyed that, you know, because I didn't think I was going to get any of that at all. So it was fun to see like that. They at least made an attempt to give the first stage its due. You know, yeah. I appreciated that as a, as you a also get your, you also get your rogue one star Wars fanboy. Oh my God, it's Vader. You get that moment. <laughs> As a Lord of the Rings fan. The when, Wojak yeah. face, just like my, my mouth just stretching like times ten. Where it's like, they, they call him like, you know, it's how, the sorcerer or whatever. And you see like Sauron. 
Well, that's like that's that's later. Yeah. Well, no, that's part of the montage. Well, but yeah, it's part of the montage. But we haven't talked about. All right, so I, I'm just gonna get into this real quick. After the the trees get destroyed, one thing I really didn't like about the little montage is that they had. It shows what looks like the Oath of Feanor, where you have a couple different elves who are putting their swords up in the air, and they're saying that we responded to this attack against the trees, and they're like, the elves went to war. And then it shows that little shot of the boats going up, which was beautiful. The Mm. boat shot was crazy. But the problem with that for me is I see that, and they're like, oh, they're almost making it sound like the departure from Valinor by the Noldor was noble, which it wasn't. It was an act of rebellion, and the the Noldor actually become cursed. This is where I think... Because of that, by the doom of Mandos. This is where I think there's a, a big difference between someone that knows a lot of the lore and someone like me who, who is like a casual viewer at least to you know this age of middle earth um when i'm watching it you know i i had the show didn't give me any context to say that that them leaving valinor was like kind of like a taboo it was like like something that they maybe shouldn't have done or like right. are not supposed to do because like evan just said it, it's presented as like a this like no like we go to war type thing like a, a noble feat and another problem with it too is that the implication there, I know they don't say it, and they show this like quick shot of Valinor after the trees get destroyed, and everything kind of looks ruined. Mm-hmm. And so there's an implication that like we left Valinor because Morgoth ruined it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like after you beat Morgoth, now people are going. It'll back. like get better. Well, did it get fixed while you were gone? You know, was so it bad? Like a- was it bad because of? Morgoth, and then when you defeat him, it's like his evil presence leaves and the yeah, trees and grow back. back and, yeah, yeah. It, it's like it's almost like a little bit of a hole. But I mean, I get it. You can't. There's only so much they can do. Um, I mean, the show does. Um, you know, I mean, I never like uh, exposition dumps in shows um, or movies because I always think it's better to to show the audience instead of tell them. Yeah, and I do think that this show does fall a little bit into the territory of characters just like blindly or just saying how they feel about something um as opposed to showing how they feel about something you know through actions or whatever um but i think there's too much intricacies when it comes to all this lore stuff to like really explain it maybe yeah um and and you also have to consider your general audience might not care about yeah. some of this stuff. Yeah. Also. Um, but anyway, and then you get over, they go to Middle Earth. Love the map thing that they do where yeah. they kind of zoom out and they show where you are. Very, like, very PJ. Yeah. We, very... We've all learned from Game of Thrones that people love maps. Yeah. So. And, well, Peter Jackson uh, did did a bit of that um, in Lord of the Rings. When? There was the... Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He did a bit yeah, of, like... Yeah. the like, bit, yeah. yeah, yeah, You're right, you're right. Uh, like, the map... It was, his, were, his weren't, like, a solid map. It was usually... It was, like, yeah, kind of like was, a... it looked more like a drawing. But, yeah, yeah, but it was, yeah, like, kind of like a half-fade map. Yeah, but he did a little um, bit of that. This does it a little bit more, and, and I, I like it. I think it's a good touch. And then we get that, like, sick shot of, you know, there, there's one of the battle. It looks like one of the battles from the Silmarillion happening, um, and that eagle is getting taken out by that dragon. That was pretty cool. Uh, Finrod's there, which it's funny because like, if you're a lore nut, like Finrod shouldn't be there because Finrod would have been killed before 
the Morgoth's big reveal of mm. dragons that you know how do you remember in the show where they were referring to that thing in the water as the worm yeah so for the majority of the Silmarillion the dragons don't have flight mm. and it isn't until the war of wrath where he unleashes like the dragons that can fly now so it's like if it was a Marvel movie you would get the they can fly now you know mm. like it's <laughs> it's that's not something that happens until after Finrod dies but I don't. Yeah, that's yeah, not it's, something to. That's not something to get upset about. It, it was a it, great it, scene. Yeah, and you're also talking about a character that dies within the first ten minutes of the show. Yeah. Um. So I like when it comes to respecting the lore standpoint. I don't think it. I, yeah, I really, will say though that like I've seen people on Twitter. So people like, are losing their minds. Over rage it. over that, and it's like, dude, you don't need to be upset over that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure they're listening. Let's all let's all remember, everyone. Peter Jackson made Sauron a giant eyeball. So, and then what happens next? Oh, she says like uh, Morgoth gets defeated, and then well, yeah, they they go to the the next scene is them climbing. Yeah, um, well, in the well, ice. no, they, they they have that really cool shot of Sauron. Where yeah, she says, oh, so this, a, a, a this is cruel, technically also part of the montage. Yeah, yeah, a cruel and cunning um, sorcerer, sorcerer, which I really appreciated because for the majority of like at least Sauron in the pop culture, you know, is very much like dark lord, yeah. like big, powerful. And you get less of the description of, like, cruel and cunning, you know, kind of, like, someone that's more sneaky. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to quietly open this game. (laughs) Um, You get, like, someone who's a little bit more sneaky, kind of working in the shadows, less... less, That that uh, was, as I said before, that was your Vader equivalent for, like, Star Wars fanboys. At least to me. Like... Like when everyone freaked out when Vader came on screen, like yeah. Rogue One or any any anytime Vader makes a cameo and people freak out, like I felt Try not like, to I, choke. Yeah, I, <laughs> I felt like a teeny bit of that same excitement and like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, like, no, it was it was a sick shot. Um, yeah, think, and and then like yeah, they 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 really butchered um, the lore around Finrod. Um, there's just a lot of problems there, but. You know, I just kind of take that as something that they had to, they, you know, it was a decision they made for the show. Um, another problem with it is like the implication of the intro kind of has like Morgoth gets defeated and then Finrod goes hunting for Sauron. And that's kind of the implication. And mm. that didn't happen at all. Like Sauron kills Finrod in the Silmarillion well before Morgoth gets defeated. And yeah, for all you actually people, yeah, I don't mean Sauron literally killed Finrod. I mean Finrod died in Sauron's dungeons at the hands of a werewolf, all right? Somebody did that to me on Twitter, and I was like, yeah, I know Sauron didn't literally do it. Like, man. But I mean, you know, you're already dealing in like a high fantasy setting. Do we really need to add werewolves and dungeons? Killing yes. people. I mean, <laughs> you know, I will say though, they did a little hat tip. They they did a hat tip to like that death because if you look, he had the claw marks. He had the claw marks. Yeah, yeah. So you're like, okay, which which, uh, which ironic that you say because this is another one of those things where difference between knowing the lore and not knowing the lore. Um, I thought it was odd the claw marks on his mm. dead body because I assumed he died in like a battle, right? Which and I was like, was he battling against like people that had like Wolverine claws or something? Like, and again, you know, kind of like you're saying, you can forgive some of these lore things. Um, 
like I said, he's a character that dies like in the first ten minutes of the show. So I'm like, those. It's odd that he's got claw marks. Yeah. But I was like, whatever. You know, it doesn't, that's like it doesn't little, matter. That's a little nudge, nudge. But that is it. nice though. Yeah, and it's the, nice. Yeah, it's nice because for someone that doesn't know that, it doesn't. It's like you see, it's like, huh, that's a little bit odd, but it doesn't, it doesn't bug you. Yeah. And for people that do know it, it's like a little wink. It's like, hey, we we know the lore. Or we it's know like, the lore. or it's like you're a dog. Like they look at the fans as dogs, and we're gonna throw them a scrap. <laughs> Here's a scrap of lore. Uh, I I would take a more optimistic. It's like a wink at, at the lore people. It's right, like it, yeah. it's like a signal. Like we do know the lore. Okay. Yeah, and you we know? we respect that you care. About I like that he has his um, berserker esque cursed mark on him. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, I believe that 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 symbol is just, and I think it was Nerd of the Rings who. Um, and I'm plugging Nerd of the Rings. You guys should watch his videos. Which, you know, Tim Dillon made a similar point. He was plugging somebody else. When is somebody going to plug me, Josh? When are people going to take care of me? Be careful saying that phrase in public. Who you're around. Don't be, don't okay. be, don't be asking like people that. to plug okay, you. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> I think that that mark on, on Finrod is a... Um, I think it's a map of Mordor. Like it's like like the the same symbol that's on the sword that the kid has. Yeah, like if you were to look at a map, like Mordor kind of looks like that symbol, mm. and it's basically like telling all of the orcs that are left over, like, hey, meet me in Mordor. It, it, what it reminded me of is uh, the um, manga um, Berserk, where like people get like a like a curse mark on them, um, and that's way too long to even go in. Berserk, Berserk, <laughs> Berserk is like a like a it's like three four hundred I feel like, like four or three hundred volume plus series that's still going on so like way too much to get into but people get like a curse like a brand right. I guess. there's like a probably brand people mark. who listen to this podcast that are fans yeah and I, I maybe um, they had the same like oh, is that what that is but I don't think it is I think you know all right so we're moving on we got we got Galadriel in the north she's in Faradwith the mm-hmm. northern wastes what's she doing up there Josh. Um, she's doing some mountain climbing, uh-huh. um, in what looks to be light-ish kind of cotton material with metal armor. Um, I cannot imagine that there is anything warm or comfortable about what they're doing. Right. Um, and, and, and are her soldiers getting a little disgruntled? Yes. And, and well, okay, so they're going there and they're climbing. Do you think they would respect her if she smiled more? <laughs> you know, I think they would respect her more. If um, she didn't, like, get to the top and then just immediately get to the top of the next list. And maybe she, like, waited, helped them up a little bit, mm. you know. But she's got to, like, show off. And, like, not only am I faster than you, I'm on top of the next ridge before you're even up on this one. Right, okay. Um, but <laughs> I do remember a lot of people in the, the, the hate crowd were like, You're so stupid, the knife, rock, and... <laughs> And I do think, and, and granted, listen, you know, the hate mob can be entertaining to watch sometimes, but it is also entertaining to see the show have moments like, yeah, you shut the hell up, all right? <laughs> you know, because like, sure, she had the knife thing with the, the jump with her knife, but they also had like spikes in their boots and they were using like kind of spikes in like their, their gloves. Right. So it's like the fact that she used a knife. Really wasn't out of place at all. They're literally climbing up with like spikes in their hands and feet. So that was kind of like, you stop it with that, you know? Yeah, so they they kind of are searching for a specific fortress that they don't name, which I'm kind of annoyed that they didn't name it, but I'm. All we know is that they're far 
north. Right. Well, very, very like past the wall feeling. Yeah. I don't. Um, I don't from, think that they would have been able to name it anyway because they don't have rights to the Silmarillion. Uh, but and I also don't think it matters for your general right. audience. Like they're in a cold. They're very far north. Yeah. It's cold. It, the idea is that the idea is that a fortress would be there because it's so far away from civilization, yeah. such a hostile environment, that that's why it would be there. Yeah, I don't know was, why they knew to go there though. I don't maybe I don't know if I missed that. People were speculating that it could have this could have been Utumno, which was the actually like the first uh, fortress of Morgoth before he kind of set his main base at Angban, which was kind of further west. So, um, people thought that maybe this could have been a Tumno, but of course they can't name it because it's not, um, it, it's in the Silmarillion and they don't mm. have rights to the Silmarillion. So they didn't name it. Um, but I was fine with it. I was fine with there being a fourth there. Because... I think it's, I, I think from like, there's, there's two elements to this. Like there's the lore side and then there's like just the fact that it's like a fantasy series and you know, obviously Game of Thrones did the whole North, very cold past the wall type thing. But the idea of there being like a part of the map that's like frigidly cold right. and like someone would hide a bit like that's like that fits in like a fantasy yeah. series, a fantasy world. So I have no problems with that. The thing I do have a problem with is we do get our first taste here of your kind of unlikable protagonist with Gladriel. And Yeah, you really didn't appreciate how no. she she was just gonna let that soldier die. <laughs> so Gladriel as a character kind of like the show, is fine. She is not an incredible character. She's not a horrible character. But I think she's very flat. Um, yes. And I think from... I've been saying this since the trailers. And I think from an emotional standpoint, uh, you know, from, from an audience standpoint, is you want your you want the audience to... to doesn't They don't have to necessarily identify with the main character, or at least one of the protagonists. But they, they should feel some sort of care for them. Like, you, you want to see... The reason why a protagonist is your classic protagonist is because you want them to succeed. Like, you, you want them to achieve their goal. Like, that's why it's enjoyable to watch... That's, that's why you're rooting for Frodo and Sam. It's because you want to see Frodo succeed. Yeah. If Frodo just kind of came off as, like, a, an arrogant dick, <laughs> like... You wouldn't be rooting for him. You'd yeah. be like, "This guy sucks." Well, and, and and granted, I don't think it's as bad as that with her. I think the point is that she has some character development. Y yes, and this is to take place. this is the first instance that you kind of see, like that bit of like a like like it's the first moment for me of like I don't like this character that much. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm my first impression is not solid. They're going up the mountain. They have like their arms interlocked in like this formation thing, which is I did like that. It was pretty cool. Um, and I thought it made a lot of sense given the environment, which yeah. I liked. I always like environmental storytelling and stuff like that, where like you get the the idea, like they they're, they're prepared for this at least to some degree. Although, despite the fact they seem to be very underprepared from a clothing standpoint, <laughs> um, so they're doing that, and one some person at the back falls, and someone's like, "So and so has fallen down," and Galadriel is like. We keep on moving. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we don't stop or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but it's like she turns around and kind of shifts gears. And yes, her. and she yeah she does go back. But in that and that moment, I was like, that's pretty cold. Yeah, no, and I get that. Um, so let's let's go into the fortress. They're in the fortress now, and they find this. Um, they get into this section where it almost looks like kind of a laboratory. We get an anvil 
and there is this I wanted to talk about this because I think that this might be like this might be interesting we get this orc that is kind of half like melded into the wall yeah half melded into the wall and like half screaming on the outside of the wall I and totally Galadriel, thought it was going to be a jump scare by the way yeah and I Gal- was waiting for like the yeah <laughs> <laughs> like he's alive yeah um and Galadriel kind of says he was they, these people were experimenting with the unseen world which I think is really interesting because if you think of the sword that Theo has it's got that that mark on it mm-hmm. it's got the same mark that that anvil has on it and if you think about like a Morgul blade which that's what I think that that sword is I think it's a Morgul blade or, it has or, it has it seems to have the same characteristics yeah or some like early version of it yeah so what I think could have been taking place in that room and is an interesting thing that I think that the the show should lean into this kind of like laboratory like sorcerer version of Sauron that we don't really which get. I do like this I like experimentation the version of Sauron he's trying to come up with because you remember like the spiritual realm and the physical realm are more blended together um, than people perceive mm. in Tolkien's world so you could almost think of it as like a form of science if he's coming up with weapons that are like able to penetrate both sides of that world well, you know what I'm you, saying yeah well if you even even just take, you know, the One Ring, since we haven't seen the other Rings of Power yet, but we, we know the One Ring from Lord of the Rings. Even just, like, take, like, the One Ring. It's this able ring, to occupy both. Yeah, this this yeah. ring has all these powers, but it's an ordinary-looking ring with an inscription. Like, there's nothing, like, otherworldly about the ring aside from, like, the inscription. But the ring can take you into it, the Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think that, you know... I, I do like that idea. The idea that this is early Sauron, early days yes, of Sauron. Early, like coming up with these things. Because these the idea inventions. that, yeah, because like, I mean, the idea that like, oh, like in Middle Earth, people just know how to like make magical exactly. items. You have to figure it out. That's doesn't what I make like. sense. Yeah. yeah. You'd have, there'd have to be some level of figuring out how to I do like it. I like the idea of like, maybe this is where he was figuring it out. Like how to make these specific objects that had these particular qualities about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was cool. Including flames not being hot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was a little unnecessary. Um, the yeah, guy's like, hold the guy's like roasting his hand in the fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, oh, they have the horrendous <laughs> troll scene where Galadriel does that you know, Captain America-esque jump off yeah, of the sword. It, 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 we see a bit of, and considering the budget of this show, I was a little surprised by just the wire work um, because I, maybe other people wouldn't catch this, but when she like runs, I mean, the guy, she comes out, this ice troll um, just beating everybody, which I also did think this is a little reminiscent to um, kind of like something that the Alien movies do a lot which is you have some guy kind of walking around the thing. And usually in the alien movie, some guy's walking around the thing and then he sees like the little worm or the little vile thing and he's like looking at it and then the face hugger jumps out and gets right. him. It's always like a helper. That's yes, it's always room. like some dumb <laughs> yeah. character who doesn't matter, who's walking around when he probably should just stay put Yeah, and he bumps into some danger that, and then he brings it back. But the thing I didn't, the thing I didn't like about the scene was, so when I say I don't, really care for Galadriel very much. You have to consider what you see of her from like an audience perspective. The first real time you see her interacting with others 
is when she says, leave them behind. Or she says, keep moving. You right. know, Which seems very... And sure, she does go back, but it's, it gives off this very kind of cold and callous um, impression. Then the next time you see her, all of the people she's leading, which um, are getting their asses kicked by this ice troll. And she comes out and the... What was the guy's name? Um, uh, Thondar, I think. Yeah. I have my notes here. I think Thondar. Guy, guy who disappears, you know. Yes. He pulls out his sword and just puts it on the ground. So she runs up and jumps off of it. Yeah. And, and kind of like, looks like, looks like from the Matrix. Like the first Matrix movie. There's, you like see her like floating through the sky, kind of like not moving much. Yeah. And that's what I mean by like the bad wire work. There's yeah. like, it, that's a great point. And it's like, it just looks, I was like, eh, it just looks a little cheap. See, that's, that's what we brought you on for. <laughs> it, it, I, I wouldn't even think to even use a word wire work <laughs> so because so, yeah they have the wires attached to them yeah, on the yeah, harness yeah. which is why they usually don't move a lot because if they move they're gonna like flip over and stuff so she like kind of just like flies through the air very matrixy and then she like single-handedly takes out this troll that was kicking the asses of everybody else and this is the second instance of me just thinking from the standpoint of like of like a writing standpoint if I'm a writer and I want my character to be likable, I want my I want the audience to see certain uh, qualities of this character. That oppor- that instance with the cave troll or the ice troll is a perfect opportunity to show that Galadriel isn't just like strong and fast because we already saw that with her scaling the mountain. We know she's strong. We know she's fast. She's agile. This would have been an opportunity to demonstrate not just that she is a good fighter, which the scene does do. But to demonstrate her leadership abilities as well. Imagine how much more impactful the scene would be if she walks out, she sees the ice troll there, and she calls to her different, like, you two, and, you know, aim for the knees. You, you know, you uh, distract him, lead him over there, and then she goes to the last guy, um, you know, give me a boost. Or like, maybe she says some word in Elvish, that way it just gives it a little extra, just a little extra spicy bit. Something right. in Elvish, like, like, <laughs> like you know, like, like a code word, like so he, so that would also tell the audience this is a maneuver that they know and that they've practiced, which also tells you th- that she's a competent leader and she's she's a competent you know commander because they train things, they have practice. Maybe she doesn't even tell them shoot the knees. Maybe she just starts saying stuff in Elvish to them, and you see them re- respond to it. So yeah. you, you know it's like she knows what she's doing, and then she obviously still gets the killing blow. She has her cool badass scene, but now you've shown the audience that she obviously trains or you know works with this crew like she she knows how to command and it shows that she is badass but she knows that that her presence alone takes these people who are getting their asses kicked and her going there and commanding is what makes them win right it it tells the audience that like that like she is someone it's almost like like what's the old adage like and i think this is even like in video games too where like if you take out the commander the army kind of scatters right yeah that would like tell you that like in absence of the commander they don't really they're not great but she comes in and she like boosts them up yeah. and that would have been great it would have like showed you oh yeah like she she's not just badass but she kind of is like like a beacon for them mhm and it's um so that whole thing takes place and then they all are kind of like, all right, we've had enough. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we want to leave. Which is maybe why they didn't do what I was just talking about. It, like, it would have made it look like... Because they want to make her look bad 
for what's about to happen. But anyway, so they all put their swords down and they're like, we're not doing this anymore. Uh, and then they go back. I thought it was a mutiny, by the way. I thought they were like in a fighter. Yeah, it, was, um, it, it kind of was a mutiny to an extent. Yeah, I mean, yes, it I was. I guess she had already Although she, she did, she did yeah. agree with them, though. Because she did, obviously, she went back. Yeah. And then that scene ends and we transition to the Harfoots. Yes. And, Harfeet! Yeah, so I have made it very clear... Uh, I disagree with the show's decision to put Harfoots in the Second Age. Um, they weren't in the Second Age. Uh, the proto hobbits don't appear until the Third Age. However, you know maybe it ends up being maybe it ends up being a positive thing. Uh, but it certainly disagrees with the lore, and I, I don't think it was necessary to have them in the show. I will say, however, if I'm just looking at it as like a casual fan and not somebody who's upset about the broken lore. I do find them charming. The actor, mm. the the one girl, Nori. Yeah, she, she's she's she, she's a, a she's a very presence. competent yeah. A- actress. Yeah, um, she, she does presence. a very she does a very good job, I think, with the character. Um, but yeah, they they don't belong in the second age, and they shouldn't be in the show. I will Amazon. say, aside from Nori, though, well, I guess I I I feel bad. I don't know the name of her friend, um, but her 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 friend is kind of with her when they meet the right. stranger. Yeah. Um, her friend does a good job as well. It's kind of yeah, like no, no, no. I thought, I thought, and, and that's a very classic pairing. You have like the the more kind of wild, you know, very much ready for adventure friend, and but also more, very much like Frodo and Sam. Yes, uh, um, even even well, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I was going to say even in terms of disposition, they're very kind of Frodo and Sam. I'm going to move on. Um, <laughs> no, I mean like personality, like disposition. Oh, okay. like like she's very like. But like Nori is, uh, granted, Frodo isn't like an, a more adventurous. She seems a, the other friend seems a little bit more clumsy. The, the other friend is more like seems more like the clumsy, like like the wants to stay home, wants to stay within a zone of comfort. Right. Um. So like that's what I mean. They like, kind of like, and that's kind of more Sam. Sam is like, it's like I'll I'll be with you, but like I, you can tell Sam would would have rather just never gone. Right. And then um, so they kind of move into this little garden, and there's a wolf there, and that's about it. You know, that, nothing, nothing really major. They eat the berries there. that are yeah. massive. Yeah, for, it's like an, they're small. It's, it's an introduction to these uh, characters. Uh, we also see uh, um, uh, Sadak. I don't know if I'm saying his name correct. He's kind of yeah. like the leader of, of the Harfoot yeah. of this little. He's, he's, he's the a, tribe of Harfoot. Wise sage of the village. He, and will. he ha- and he has his book of prophecy, which we or whatever it is. I don't even think they ever I, call it that. Well, they don't. They don't call it anything. I don't think. Unless I could be wrong, but I don't think they call it anything. But it's clearly some sort of book of prophecy. Yeah, which we don't have. Any. We we don't really know. I'm gonna be real with you, folks. We don't have any context for any of that because I don't know if there's any precedent for hobbits having a book of prophecy. Yeah, it also seems oddly specific. The book. Um, I will say that if you look at everything from a historical perspective, which that's how Tolkien wants things to be viewed, he wants these stories to kind of be seen as almost like, like a real history that happened. So, if you look at the Hobbits, you know the proto Hobbits don't enter into the histories until the Third Age. Mm-hmm. So I will allow like. You, you don't really know what happens. I will allow you that. to be yeah. creative, you know, with this. But these characters cannot be doing anything like showing up 
in Linden or, they, or making yeah. huge they, decisions. They can't, go where they, they can't go where they don't belong because they don't exist in the right. histories. Anything that they do that affects the grand story has to be in the background. It well, has to be something I, where I you think can be like, this just happened and nobody ever knew about it. My, my theory, which is, of course, based off of not much of anything right now, but if I was to say, to try and keep within the confines that you just said, knowing that they can't really influence much outside their own sphere... Um, that's where the stranger, I think, is a, a good fit because the stranger um, allows that group of characters and the Harfoots to kind of influence some element. And then once the stranger, I assume, eventually departs from the Harfoots, whatever he does, whoever he ends up being, um, you, like from a history standpoint, you know, no one's gonna know he like the Harfoots were the first people he met. Right. So yeah. I think that that's a good way around that. Um, when it comes to like their 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 book of prophecy thing, I can I don't I the, that confuses me because on one sense I can understand it. Um, like they you know the the men walking the hunters type thing that I completely understand because if you're these people you live you know your goal is to not be seen. Um, you're probably going to notice, especially after years and years of living there, that you know. At a certain time of year, or a certain sea, I guess it would be more season than time of year. During a certain season, hunters might come back from from wherever their hunting grounds are, and you know, and maybe the reason for that is because you know maybe it's before winter or something. And this is just me completely spitballing. Before winter, hunters have their last hunt and then they come back. So when you see the hunters and you notice, wow, now it's winter. Then the next year happens, hunters, then winter. That seems like the type of thing that you would want to write down. So that way future generations know. And, and of course it comes off as kind of like a prophecy thing. But in reality it's just observation. It's just right. the, hunt, yeah, yeah. The, the hunters are aware of the kind of calendar of the seasons. And you're not maybe as attuned to it. Yeah. So to you the hunters are a sign of something. So after this we are we go back and it zooms out and they do that lovely map thing again and we big go back to of. yeah big fan of that love that I wish it was in the intro I honestly wouldn't even care if they ripped Game of Thrones I mean, intro I think that's why they didn't do it but Which, I mean that's, it would, that intro it would have been that good. intro to the second episode by the way I hate it mm. what it's like sand and yeah. the sand is dancing around and becoming not like ring not shapes. I don't understand this. I don't, maybe it's not sand because here's the thing. When I think sand, I think like sand. It's coarse sand, and irritating. It gets everywhere. <laughs> sand, sand is used to make glass. The ring is not made out of glass. Right. I could understand if it was like, and maybe it's supposed to be like iron or minerals. If it's like yeah, a material. I don't know. It maybe like maybe that's like the sand. material that you forge, that you put in a forge and melt down. Maybe. But either, either, even if that is what it is, I still am not a fan of it. It's like, it doesn't and, and to be fair, if if you're right about that, they are forming and being forged into shapes, yeah. you know, in the intro. So I ju know, it's I just we'll a boring it, intro. But, um, but yeah, there's nothing special about it in my opinion. Uh, so we're with Galadriel and Linden. Uh, we get that quick shot of Elrond writing the speech for um, Gil Galad, mm -hmm. uh, which is interesting. You know, yeah. that's that's an interesting take on what Elrond's job could have been in that situation i didn't mm -hmm. have a problem with that you know it, it, well they, they definitely position him as the diplomat right um which i do think is a little bit odd because obviously 
in the little montage in Lord of the Rings, we see him as a warrior, like leading the armies. So I think it's a little bit odd to see him in such like a casual political role. Yeah. Um, but whatever. I mean, again, the, these the elves live for so long. Yeah. That there's there's really there's you can very easily assume that if you can live thousands of years, like there's no reason you can't do kind of everything. Right. Well, so what I'm thinking is. And, and again, it's just a take, but like for the majority of Elrond's life, you know, like Morgoth has been dealt with. Mm-hmm. So it's a time of peace. Yeah. He's living in a time that has more peace. So I can see how he could be doing like a more, what are you doing? Just getting up for a sec. Oh, <laughs> um, I could see how he could have a more like bureaucratic type of job. Yeah, and he does kind of have that, and he will. He in, will have to Lord go to war. He will yeah. have to go to war eventually, and we'll see how that kind of character develops. Um, so he's kind of he talks. Your friend has arrived. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? I, I, I'm I, telling you right now. I literally just did. Yeah, that was a that was a funny bit of dialogue right there, uh, Josh. Yeah. You really you ranted on that pretty well. You wanna you wanna take that away? I just thought it was funny because it's like, it's a, it's like if I was saying like right now I'm like. Um, Evan, are we recording? Yes. Why didn't you tell me that? Is that what it's like? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you literally, it's like, you, you, you ask, someone tells you something and you say, why didn't you tell me? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's li- literally what they just did. Yeah. Um. And, and also, she, then maybe this is way too nitpicky from a script standpoint, but the lady says the line, like, your friend just arrived. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like she's been. It's there. like it's not like your. It's like oh, by the way, your friend got here a week ago. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like oh, why, then I could understand. Like, why didn't you tell me she got here a week so, ago? So, Elrond goes to her and they have this little discussion, and she's being so annoying. Like this she's is basically this, demanding, you know, more more folks to take up. This with her feeds into back into her not being. And I'm not going to say she's an unlikable character. Well, she is very entitled, but that's yeah, but, not but it, that it, that's actually not you know against the lore. Yeah, and I, I'm not saying Galadriel she's unlikable is, for these things. Is I'm just saying to that to a certain extent. So this, to be fair, you know, the, she does have some unlikable qualities at this point. Well, and I think that that conversation that they have, where she comes off as very, very kind of entitled, um, a bit rude, um, a kind of. I, I don't know what the single word is, but kind of, like, kind of like blunt. Yeah, blunt. Kind of talks down to him. Which a bit. she is. She is blunt. Which is fine in the, in the books. Which is fine. I've got no problem with that. I think where it becomes an issue in my mind, and again, this is no critique of the actress. This is a critique of the script and maybe the direction, the directing of it. Is if you had made some of those, if you had made that those two changes I had said earlier, where she shows a little more compassion for her person that falls down. And then she emerges and she kind of leads the people. She rallies them to victory against the ice troll. When you see her be kind of blunt and, and you know, kind of um, entitled, you know, demanding uh, more soldiers. If, when, if you see that when she's talking to Elrond in the context of her being a good leader who rallies her troops, who cares about her troops, you don't take that as being rude and entitled because you know that... She wants more troops, and she is being rude about it. She's not necessarily being diplomatic, which I'm fine. She's not being diplomatic with him for the most part, which is she is more the warrior. That's that's how she's that's how, at least how that's the show's portraying her. So I'm fine with that. But 
if you had the context of she cares about her her soldiers, she rallies them to victory, you you kind of say, yeah, she does deserve to have more people. Like, look at she treats her her people with her with respect. She she's you know. She, she, she's like she's the real she's the leader she's the real deal yeah, like she, but, you should give you her as soldiers viewer, like nah she shouldn't yeah it's like she single handedly defeated the cave troll like why she yeah. need everyone why she need an army yeah um, so like you kind of you get through that and, and again a lot of I don't I don't hate her character you know there, there are mm-hmm. people who hate her character and, and I just think that like maybe she I just think sometimes lines that get delivered come off a little flat it's almost Mm. like she's really trying to sound stoic stoic and lofty you know and which sometimes comes off like it's just not natural which i think Um, it was um i think it was lauren that mentioned this which is that is she's like older than everyone yeah so but again that's another thing where from a lore standpoint you might know that from a casual viewing standpoint you won't knowing that she's older than everybody I think actually it kind of justifies her her kind of callousness with Elrond. Yeah, yeah because to, to, be, uh, yeah, because I don't I don't know does. the age difference between them, but imagine it's, let's, it's long. So let's just say, for example, you're like a fifty year old, um, you know, you're like a fifty year old military general or something like that, and there's some twenty year old politician who you're having to go and ask him for more soldiers and approve. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. of course you're going to kind of talk down to them. It's, it's like, it's like I'm like twice your age. Of course I don't have that much respect for you. Like, like you, you should understand that I have the age and the wisdom on my side. So when I say I need more troops, like, you should just trust me on that. Yeah. So I, in that context, I actually do think it, it doesn't, it, it takes, it, it makes that rudeness softer. And it makes it more understandable from her perspective because she kind of does have the right to feel a little bit entitled, right? And then so they have that discussion, and then they move on, and they have the uh, they they go to that little ceremony where Gilgalad is delivering Elrond's speech, and he he hits him with the "In the Undying Lands of Valinor," and you're like. There was just something about that that I found comical. You know, something about his delivery that was, like, Mm. a little bit cheesy. But um, it was... The scene looked great. You know, like everything... Like we said already, everything in the show looks fantastic. Um, And he announces in this scene that Galadriel will be going on a ship to Mm -hmm. Valinor. And she's very upset by this, Mm -hmm. while everybody else is, you know, stoked. Um, I'd like to talk about that scene a little bit. Because I think there's a lot of elements to that scene that a casual viewer wouldn't know that that does change how you view it. And even for me, like my first time viewing it, I kind of had a certain impression of that scene. And then when I talked to you about it, it kind of like um, like retroactively kind of like it changed my perspective a little bit, kind of recontextualized it for uh-huh. me. Um, so I think that might be a good thing to talk about because I don't know. Maybe all your listeners no, are, this is good are, are hardcore lore people. Because I would like to know where other people who are watching it, who are more casual viewers, are getting confused. Yeah, so, and I'll just, even though we've already talked about I'll just kind of say what I thought first. And then you can kind of explain it. Um, explain, like, where my understanding is lacking in some of the context that, quite frankly, I, I don't yeah, think the show gives yeah, yeah. you. When I see that as someone that's watched Lord of the Rings, and we'll just assume watched. We're not even going to assume read the books. Um, just someone that's seen Lord of the Rings, obviously. 
The Undying Land. Valinor is the Undying Lands. Uh, which, I don't even know if they ever say that explicitly. Or if you're just supposed to know that um, in the show. I don't th- I don't know if they refer to it as the Undying Lands at any point. <laughs> Gilgalad goes, the Undying oh, yeah. Lands. Oh, I, didn't say, I thought I said Valinor. Oh, Valinor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, with his arms stretched out. I think yeah. I was just too... I think I was... Uh, too focused on the fact that I don't like their costume design mm. for the elves, but we can get into that in a second or later. Um, so when he, you know, when, when he says the Undying Lands of Valinor, if your context is Lord of the Rings, you know that Frodo and the elves go there, and and it's like a one way journey. You know, yeah. you go there and you're there for good. So most audiences, I think, including me would understand the Undying Lands, like we said in the beginning. It's like elf heaven, right? Yeah. Um, well, until the end of time when Iluvatar is supposed to make a new earth. That is getting way too lore heavy, I think, for the, <laughs> any any average viewer to, to know. It's just remember that elves are bound to the earth. So <laughs> their, their, their life post-suffering is still essentially going to be bound to the earth till <clears> the end of time. So... I didn't know when I watched it um, that uh, so when elves left Valinor, I I understood as like an audience not knowing the lore that now they're essentially like everyone else, and, and so and when you die, you're dead. You you die oh, okay. and you're gone. You're in like uh-huh. it, kind of like 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 what you would call an atheistic view. Of death, like like a right. non-religious view. Yeah, you're dead and you're gone, um, which means that Valinor is like a, a big honor. It's like you, like the fact that they left Valinor, okay, puts yeah, them in so, a position so of you mortality. Didn't know, you didn't know that. You didn't know that if an elf dies in Middle Earth, they end up back in Valinor. Yeah, uh, right. and and maybe there's something in the Lord of the Rings that explains that that I missed. Although I've seen it so many times, I don't think so. I think I would have caught yeah, onto that. Yeah, not, not that I, not that's. I can't recall. And again, that's that's reinforced by the fact that it's like a great honor to go there. Yeah. To me, it's almost like it's like if if in, it's a great honor for races outside of the firstborn children of Iluvatar, which are the elves. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, the elves live an extremely long time, so they already have a leg up on like regular people, regular yeah. other races in, in Middle Earth. Um, but I, I wasn't aware of the fact that. When elves die, they just go to Valinor. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit more complicated than mm. just that. Like there's, uh, they so they go to Valinor and there's a place called the Halls of. This is like getting really into. Mm. Um, I think this is where it's, it's called the Halls of Mandos, well, right? Mandos is another member of the Valar who is responsible for like judgment and um, you know time and things like that, and he essentially like sizes up the life that you lived like for a great example so fanor is a great um he, he's a great example of an elf who uh misbehaved um and his spirit was not resleeved into a new body mm. and it won't be resleeved into a new body is that what they call it resleeved no that's just my word okay for it. <laughs> um, it's a very odd word <laughs> yeah so so he his spirit is kind of like in the halls of mandos mm. and it's going to remain there until uh, the last battle, which is um, the I, I believe it's called the Dagor Dagor Lad, which is essentially well, this supposed is where to be Tolkien's like religious Tolkien's climactic battle of the mm. universe. 
Um, this after, is where Tolkien's religious after Morgoth inf- escapes the doors of night. Yeah, and Tolkien's religious influence is obviously um, present in, in how this works. You know what I mean? They're like, you die, and well, the elves die, and they go, and they're judged. Right. So, and and then if they're judged favorably, I guess, or whatever, they, they exist in kind of elf heaven. In the again. simplest of terms, without having to think about it too hard, yes, elves when they die in Middle Earth are transported back to mm-hmm. Valinor, which. So, so when you first watch it, it seems like going to Valinor is like this really great honor, which I guess it still is. But knowing that like any of the elves that just are like out there with Galadriel in like a raiding party or whatever, if one of them is just like slipped off of that ice cliff and died, like they're gonna most likely, I would assume, end up in Valinor yeah. again. Yeah. So it kind of like takes like it makes no, that no, no, they will. Yeah, it makes it seem a little less grand the gesture of like. And especially the way he presents it. He presents it like, you know. Yeah. So I actually, that was a little, kind of one of the problems that I had with the scene is that um, it's not really a great honor for them because Mm. it's something that's available for everyone. Um, They're like, the Grey Havens are set up so that any, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm assuming the boats obviously aren't infinite. You know, mm. you, you might have to wait for the next train. Mm. Um, but the Grey Havens are set up so that any elf at any time can say, like, I want to go, you know, I want to go home. Mm. Uh, because that's where elves are supposed to be. You know, they were called to the West at the at when they were born into mm. the world. They were called to come to Valinor. Um, so... It's it's an honor that's available at any time. So mm-hmm. I I didn't like in that scene that like Gil-Galad, he makes it sound like a like a really big deal. Yeah, Gilgalad makes it sound like the undying lands, lands of, Valinor. of Valinor. <laughs> Um He makes it sound like that only certain people can go at a time, mm-hmm. um, and that was kind of where I had a disconnect and was yeah. like, no. And and this I think kind of combines with the thing you were saying earlier about them raising their swords when they decide to leave Valinor them deciding to leave Valinor is played off as like this big heroic deed yeah which again is reinforced by the fact that it's made to be this grand spectacle that they're allowed to go back yes and from a casual viewing standpoint I think that's probably their intent I think that's not even probably. I think that that is the way that the show portrays it. Yeah, and I, and to be honest, I have a lot of grace in this particular area because I know I know it's all so complicated, mm-hmm. and I can't even imagine the difficulty of portraying in a way that's digestible for a TV show without so, like having like a very long exposition dump. Yeah. So of like, oh, well, this is what this is, and this is what that is. So there's you know. certain decisions that are made that I don't agree with, but mm-hmm. I also have like a little bit of grace there because I do know that it's ex- an extremely complicated subject and and you would assume that all the elves are already aware of this so there's no point where you can have a conversation between two characters where you can like talk about this so the audience gets to hear it yeah because they would the proper response what's that one character's name that was with galadriel the guy um uh thunder yeah his proper response in that moment after you know gilgalad hits the you know Mm. his proper response should have been Oh, cool! I thought I could go at any time. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's the response that should have been made there. Because they almost make it seem like it's like you accomplished a great deed, and this is your reward. Yeah, which well, not that not even that's how they make it seem. That is how it's played in the show. 
It's it's literally played in the show, and I'm pretty sure it even says like for their valiant efforts. Yeah, and I could maybe see a situation where, okay, I can wrap my head around maybe the king doesn't want certain people to go mm-hmm. at certain times because he needs them for some reason. Yeah, and it's his own selfish reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would be something bad, mm-hmm. you know, that the king is doing. Like that would be a, an an evil thing to do. To, to so, take to take a quick aside on on costumes for a second. Um, one thing I do like the High King, um, Gal uh, Gal Gadot. <laughs> um, I do like that he has long hair. Yeah, because uh, I I feel like and he I, looks like James Comey. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to touch on, on the design, the the look of things too, because the look in the look of the attire, like the hair hairstyles, the wardrobe is very different from Lord of the Rings. Um, a lot of the elves don't have long hair. I think it, that's the only guy. Um, the High King is the only one that has long hair, which to me, I, yeah. I, like, sure, it's no, a style. There it's, was so many mistakes. It's a, it's a stylistic choice, I guess. It, it does feel weird to see elves without long hair because long the elves are meant to be like more majestic, more beautiful, but like more old, obviously older, full of wisdom. And I feel like the long hair is kind of like signals that, that they're like, it's like beauty. It's like age. It's like wisdom. Um, so the fact that most of the guys don't have long hair, um, most of the elves don't have long hair is like a little bit offsetting. Also, they yeah. also, they also just seem to have like a lot of hair product available to them. <laughs> Um, that all of their hair is like very neatly styled and like their hair like never really moves. They must yeah. have like hairspray in Middle Earth. I, um, um, I, yeah, I, I don't agree with the hair choices at all. I think that they're, um, those, that was a mistake and I, I don't know why they chose to do that, but I, I do think the costumes look, they look to me like, like an Amazon show that is set in ancient Greece. They, they, but not, not like, not like a realistic ancient Greece, like a, a lofty like, ancient, Greece. like, like a Greek mythology look. Okay. Like the, the uniforms all have like a very fancy tailored, like, like very elaborate. I guess like elaborate is what I would say. A lot of like, if you look at like Elrond in Lord of the Rings uh, and you look at the other elves, even like, like, um, like Legolas, their, their outfits look more appropriate to what is possible to make with given the technologies they have mm. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think I see what you're saying. And like the bright blues, the bright greens, the bright golds, it feels like you're looking at like Greek gods in a way. Mm. Um which I'm not a huge fan of. Um even the it's armor very flashy. Yeah. Even it doesn't the, it doesn't need to be that. Even the armor has like a look of I don't want to say it looks plastic, but it looks like kind of like like rubber. You know, it looks like like, and obviously I'm sure it is. But if you compare that to Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, where they had like like armor smiths, like blacksmiths make like actual armor, and of course they obviously you know they have your you have your hero prop, which is like your real sword and your real armor made out of real metal, and then of course you have like your your props that are made out of rubber but meant to look as realistic as possible. Those are for yeah. your action and your moving moving scenes. But it feels like, and, and this is something I noticed with a couple scenes with the people in armor, the way that they move in the armor, the way that they walk around, that they carry themselves, it feels like the armor doesn't have weight to it. Um, yeah, which, that's a good point. Yeah. Which, of course, I assume the armor is made out of 
rubber or plastic or some sort of styrene or something like that. Um, so of course the armor doesn't have weight because I mean you're not gonna. This is a, granted for the budget they had, they probably could have made real armor if they wanted. Um, but obviously for cost and safety and stuff, it probably is just cheaper. Makes more sense for them to do what they did. But it feels like the armor doesn't have weight, like the way they move in it, and not even just the elves. When you see, when you see, um, what's his name, um, Arandorn, Arandar, the uh, the guy who's stationed in Mordor. Yeah, like all mm-hmm. those elves, it feels like their armor is like, if you look at their armor, like they have full chest plates, like thick chest plates. They, they like, they, like um, the elf that's that's stationed at uh, Mordor. Um, the one who like goes into the tavern and stuff. His armor has like like a face engraved on it. Yeah, and stuff. I think it's and, an ant. And, and I think yeah. it's an ant engraved on his. And the thing plate. is, from a practical standpoint, to have armor with this detailed face engraved in it would have to be pretty thick. It has to be thick enough that you can have this face engraved yeah. in it. And which means, it would, and it's also like a full full armor set. It goes from the like you know from his neck to like his waist. That would be really heavy. And it doesn't feel like any of the characters move in a way that signals to the audience that there's a weight yeah. to them. Um, especially like when that guy's crawling through the tunnels and yeah. stuff. So that was one thing that kind of bugged me with like the design of the, the, the look of things. That that might be a small nitpick. I'm sure some mm. people don't care about that. Well, but hey, to- you brought up Aaron Deere. Let's, let's jump over to him because he's next. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we zoom out and we go all the way down to... I'm pretty sure we're in Mordor proper mm. right now, or mm. or at least like on the southern end of it. But I, I think that like we're actually in Mordor at this point on the show. This place, Tir Harad, mm. and we see this hooded guy. Obviously, we know it's Arendir, and he walks into this bar or deli, mm. and um, there's clearly immediate like tension with him being it, there. It, you know, it's men. it's essentially that the elves. Are are it's like ocu- it's like occupied yeah, territory. This area. Yeah, the elves are occupying this territory as like the people to watch. Uh, you know, right. in case something. Now, happens. if you're wondering, hey Evan, where's the example of this in the book? There is none. So we kind of were like sitting here, like, all right, this is a creative decision. The elves are kind of occupying this area of a traditionally, you know, malicious group of men. The, who sided with Morgoth. Yeah, who sided with Which Morgoth. Which we are, we are the, hammered over the head with that. Yes, the, I love, I, I will say that I love all of the mentions of Morgoth. It's, mm. it's, um, it's fun, you know, for somebody who is a huge Silmarillion fan. Because uh, I didn't really, again, I didn't really think that they were going to be establishing those kind of connections. Mm-hmm. And if they did, I, I thought it would be brief. And mm. it hasn't been brief. It's been pretty present, at least in the first two episodes. And, and I will say real quick that Aaron Deere... Out of all the actors in the show, and again, this is, like I said in the beginning, the difference between uh, an actor portraying a character versus, you know, the script and the director kind of trying to get the performance they want. I think the actor that plays uh, um, Aaron Deere, and, and I'm sorry, I don't know the name of the actor. I think he's probably one of the, the best ones in the show. I agree. I, I agree completely, um, yeah. He does a really good job of portraying the subtleties of conflict within his character. Yeah. And uh, so he's in there and he it seems like he's kind of making the rounds. Mm-hmm. Like he's checking in on what bad things happened this mm-hmm. week. They're all very polite to him. 
but they are polite in a in like I said in like an occupied territory type of way. Yeah. Where they're polite and like a, we we don't want to start trouble with him, but we don't like him. Yeah. Um, and it's it's interesting because so like you said like you mentioned they're really hammering the sided with Morgoth stuff mm-hmm. and there's like I said there's a part of me that loves that but also in this particular case with these people um, like these people sided with Morgoth mm-hmm. this is very far away from where the events of the first age are taking place mm-hmm. like extremely far away mm-hmm. the the land mass that the events of the first age took place in is actually sunk into mm. the ocean. You remember that quick shot yeah. of like the, the buildings and, and it's the, all, it's all in red. Yes. And it's all yeah. in red. That's it's like, all under, which I will say that's it, another hat tip to the sinking mm. of Belir. The first time you see that scene, at least to me, I didn't realize it was all underwater stuff. Cause yeah. it's such, such a, I mean, it's a very cool looking shot, Yeah, but it's like red. And like, it, unless you like notice like the ripples kind of on the surface, like I didn't realize at first that that was like, Underwater. Yeah. So what happens is the War of Wrath takes place, and this is that's kind of the final culmination of like up to Morgoth's defeat. Mm-hmm. Um, and that war is so epic, like so much happens that it actually cracks. Is that earth. part of the stuff that they don't have the rights to do? Yeah, that's okay. in the Silmarillion. So, um, so that would make because that would be a really cool thing to show. Uh, but I guess so. I, I actually think that they should do an anime of the Silmarillion because mm. I think that that would be a way that you could actually properly show the epicness of yeah. what takes place. Um, but the battle was so intense that it just broke the foundations of the land, mm. um, and that all happens very far away from Mordor. So when they're like these people specifically here on like the other end of the map had strong ties with Morgoth. It's mm-hmm. just, as somebody who like knows the lore, it's just kind of a weird statement to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, that almost doesn't make sense. Cause you would kind of assume that these would be just wild men who were untouched by civilization and Morgoth, mm-hmm. you know, because it, everything was just happening so far away. Mm-hmm. So that's whatever they're like, that's what they're doing for the, they're also the time compression really is. I just, I feel like, but it's hard to not, have time compression because it's just just so much material right and, and again, granted, and granted, and again I that's I why i have like grace with it yeah and granted i so i don't annoying. i don't even understand you know or know all of the lore associated with this stuff and even the little that i do know from talking with you about it even from what i know i could see how that would be a really big challenge to to not have to compress things to, yeah. to fit yeah um so and then he has that weird exchange with the guy who is like getting in his face telling him asking him when they're gonna let it go mm-hmm. and everything um that's a that's a very comical line it was it, that's that's a line that kind of bugged me it just felt a little there was something so like blatant about it that made me feel like are they trying to kind of have go, some are they trying to go outside of the show here are they trying have, to have like some sort of real world commentary yeah, maybe yeah like, like a double entendre with the line exactly um and i don't know i don't know if that's what they were trying mm-hmm. to do but that's kind that's it felt like maybe that that was an attempt was made there. Um, we we do meet um, another one of our. I I wouldn't call her a main character, but she is definitely a, a supporting character. I, she might become a main character. But we meet um, Bronwyn at the well um, when uh, when um, Arndir you know leaves the tavern. He goes to the well to talk to a Bronwyn um, who is like. 
I guess she's she is, I assume she's a widow. Um, I don't know. You, you don't see that she has a husband or anything. Obviously, the fact that she seems to have some sort of a semi-flirtatious kind of relationship yeah. with him. Um, and also, the fact that she has a son implies that she obviously she was married or something at some point. And you meet her, and she. I will say, from an acting standpoint, she also does a good job. Um, except for that, except for that one scene that we'll talk about that I hate. <laughs> yes. Um, she has a son named Theo, who looks like Mowgli from the Jungle Book. He's also uh, like annoying. He's a brat. Yeah, and, and he's friends with um, young Ezra Miller. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and I will say, I don't know if they chose that actor just on a whim. But that actor is kind of a jerk too, which fits the young Ezra Miller archetype. Yeah. Um, yeah Ezra Miller is re- repeatedly in the news for shenanigans. Yeah, he is. Um, and so they have that exchange at the well, and then the the guy who's running again. I don't know what. I don't know if it's an inn or a deli or a bar. He, he keeps. He, he seems like a butcher almost. He's serving but he drinks. Looks like a bar. He's serving drinks, but he's chopping meat in there too. I don't know. It seems um, like a health and food safety hazard. Yeah, and he also seems like he's the head of the town, like, for some reason. Maybe not the head, but he's definitely, like, a, one of the respected people. Members of the, of the community. Yeah. Um, so he catches them out there, and it's, like, a little awkward exchange. And then they go back to the tower, and his partner is kind of harassing him about, like, hey, you shouldn't be flirting with this woman. Um, they mention, uh, the, you know, the relationships from the past that have happened between men and elves. What um, is the line he says? He says, you should know that village sided uh, something. Oh, you're talking about when he's talking to his, his superior. Yes. Well, that's the scene when he comes back to the thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and his superior says something like, um, you know, these people. Sided with Morgoth. Yeah, they side. It's, it, it's. Their, their blood is line, tainted. Yeah, or yeah, something. It's they a have tainted like, blood running through their it's veins. Not, it's a line like, we're not here because of what their ancestors did. We're here because of what they could do now. Mm-hmm. Um, what's still in there? It's it's definitely portrayed as like these people are written off. It's definitely portrayed as like an unjust prejudice against these people. Yes, yes. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't just quickly mention the ladder. Um, when he climbs the ladder to get oh. into that tower, <laughs> the elven um, ladder. The elven ladder, which looks like someone just had two trees next to each other, two saplings, and they just put like a mold there, and the trees grew and intertwined into this ladder. And I know it's a small thing, but as soon as I saw it, I was like, that is a plastic ladder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I know you said you saw some people tweet about it, that um, I'm not alone in thinking that... No, you're... it's so funny because other people were getting like hung up about that too. Somebody said, I think... Um, Why couldn't they just like, have like, a regular yeah, ladder? They, yeah, they may be elves, but they can have a regular ladder. They don't have to have um, a ladder that's like a single tree. Yeah, that... like a mystical ladder. <laughs> yeah, like, like you somehow were able to make a tree grow into a ladder. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they have that discussion about these people kind of being irredeemable. Which again, um, back which to back to that actor um, for, for Arndir doing a really good job. In that conversation, he portrays the subtleties of his conflict very well. You see, like, and I, I, love, I love when actors are capable of doing that, where even without him talking, you can see in his face, like the conflict. You can see... That he's like, he's respectfully listening to his commander, but you can see that he doesn't agree with what his commander is saying. Yeah. And, and obviously he holds his tongue, he doesn't say anything, and you can see that conflict on his face, and I love that. Because I love, I love when the actors, without words, 
can tell the audience how they're feeling. Yeah, I do actually, I want to go back real quick because um, we forgot to cover the conversation that Galadriel has with Elrond in front of the statues of the dead. Oh, yes, with, with the, the, the carved people. And that's, uh, okay, so like, if I'm being a little ner- a little Wojak, just wide mouth face for a second, they had some really good fan service in that scene, mm-hmm. you know, honoring the fallen heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get, nothing is named, obviously, but their hat tips, because mm-hmm. they don't have the rights to some of it. I think it's again, like, you with- definitely see, you see Luthien and Juan mm-hmm. from Baron and Luthien. It's, it's the statue of the woman with the dog. That's clearly Luthien and Juan. And then, um, in the corner, you kind of can barely see it, but in the corner, you definitely see Torin Torinbar with the, uh, the helm of Dorloman, like mm-hmm. on his, on, on the statue bed. And then there's another one with a spear and I couldn't, I, I, I didn't make out who that was, but it was an interesting little point of, fan service that I appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, never did I think I would see like a Torin reference. And I think like the claw marks on Gladriel's brother, um, it's it's one of those little like winks to the people that know the lore. Yeah. Which I think, which is... So they could do yeah. the Leo meme, the point. <laughs> which I think is good. Um, you know, like I might have not picked up on it, but I, I think it's good of them to include that because it does show... I, I know there's a lot of concern... Before the show came out, that these people didn't know the lore or didn't respect the lore, right? And I do think it's nice to have little touches like that, where even if I don't understand it, the fact that other people understand it and can talk about it, it, it like shows that there is uh, respect it, there. At least, so it, it's there's way more offered than what I thought for something that they don't even have rights to. You mm-hmm. know, they're making implications to things trying to do little hat tips to the fans that they know it's it's like they're saying hey we know you really care about this stuff so we want you to know that we're acknowledging that it's a part of this universe which not to sidetrack us for a second but goes back to our our little jokey rant about like the people that are like gonna hate on the show like oh it's woke it's this is blah blah it goes and you had said some of those people have openly admit that they haven't even read any of the yeah, any of the, you know what it is no, but no, no you know what I don't want to say that. I'm going to retract that because... Well, maybe, I, he'll, maybe he'll tweet about you. If, if yeah, well, maybe. It. I saw something where somebody else said that he had said. So this, okay. is, this is through a it's third It's secondhand party. knowledge. Yeah. So maybe but, I'll just edit that. But either way... But, but, I don't want to attack him. But I don't... I think he did say a couple months ago that he hadn't even read The Silmarillion or something of that nature. So it's hmm. like... And, and I'm pretty sure he does movie reviews and show reviews, so... He, he does, like, pop culture everything, I think. Yeah, and, and he, that's... He, he does a lot of the Marvel stuff. I don't think you really care about this this piece of intellectual property that I really care about, and I think that that's what a lot of... Don't get me wrong, I have complaints about the show, and I'm honest about them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's things I like about the show, too. But when I see people who I don't really think care about the material that are kind of just doing the grift... Well, be, they're uh, jumping on the bandwagon of everyone in those videos. I mean, if you like, maybe not now, but if you go to like a week before the show came out and you search "Rings of Power" on YouTube, you'll see tons of channels with like, you know, and you look in the thumbnail and the title, and it's like, it's like, you know, "Rings of Power," "DOA," "Rings of Power," yeah. "Unmitigated Disaster," yeah. even you know, "Lord of the Woke," mm, all that like, stuff, all right, you know. Dude. So. so I think some of that's just, you know, bandwagoning. Um, and I think there's there's probably some people that will still critique the show and not even understand that there's references meant for the true fans that they don't even catch. Which is a little bit 
I guess yeah. to be expected. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, they have a little interesting uh, bit of dialogue there, and I just want to brush on it because we're we're at an hour thirty right now, so we're gonna have a lot of editing. Um, <laughs> well, well, one one little thing with that too, though, because this goes into the kind of the one of the broader points that we've talked about, which is as a casual viewer, um, she makes a comment saying. You know, I would have, I, th- I don't remember the exact words. She said something along the lines of, I would have thought, you know, I would have rather I be with them. I, I thought I would be up, up, yeah, next yeah. to them. Yeah, which to me, again, someone that, that maybe didn't know that when elves die, they just go to Valinor anyways. That, as a casual viewer, if you don't know that, that, that they die and go to Valinor, that reinforces the point. At least, you know, to me, logically, that when they leave Valinor, they've essentially given up their immortality. Maybe not in terms of lifespan, but in terms of when they die, yeah. they have an afterlife. Yeah, that doesn't happen. <laughs> so, so, again, that's kind of where some of these misconceptions happen. Yeah. And, and maybe it's intentional, because it does add a little more weight. to It doesn't it adds more weight to the stakes. Yeah, it makes you know the what stakes mean? higher. Um, they have that little, she says that quote about how... Um, Evil doesn't sleep, it waits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think she says it waits until you're complacent, which um, I really, I appreciated that little yeah. that little thing there. I think that that's so true. You know, I think that it's in times of comfortability where you you don't have your guard up, where mm-hmm. you can you can fall into sin, where th- things can happen in your life, you know, when you when you're, you let your guard down. So, like, I, I, I appreciated that little line that they... Mm-hmm. That, that, that line um, was very Tolkien-esque. Yeah, exactly. Um, they did have a bit of bad dialogue in there too when he was like put up your sword without it what would I be and he goes my friend I was like oh I I don't know maybe like the lord of light (laughs) (laughs) it was like it was just that was corny Mm -hmm. my the the friend comment but anyway moving on so let's let's go back to we talked about Iran deer oh um Theo what's he pulling out of that trunk under the floor it looks to be a Morgul blade, or at least some iteration of one. Right. Yeah. And and, and that is something that I, I think there's two reasons to uh, as a as a viewer who's seen Lord of the Rings. There's two reasons to assume that. One, when he has the blade, it's already broken. Um, which again, blades can be broken. It's not a big deal. But it's obviously some sort of like dark evil artifact. Like right. it doesn't look like a regular sword. And then later on, to just jump ahead a little bit, later on when the sword kind of like starts to rebuild you know in the second episode in the second yeah. yes this is the second episode but it, you know ties into the logic of that right. when the sword kind of rebuilds it's the same style of effect that you see the morgul blade disappear after Frodo gets stabbed with yeah. it yeah yeah you see it kind of come like from the it's like pulling the air in in like kind of a dark mist yeah and it's like rebuilding the blade yeah it's a great point yeah i i think it's a morgul blade um or like we said, Sauron's been experimenting is the implication. Or I also think an it's, early it's version a prototype of maybe mm-hmm. what a Morgul blade, what eventually ends up becoming, you know, it, the, it, do, it does the standard model. It, it does, will, it does like suck blade. his blood towards it. Yeah. Which again, this is the second episode content, but it does like his blood towards it, which also gives off the idea that this isn't just like a blade. This is like some sort of evil. The one thing artifact. I was slightly annoyed by is that like I want to know where you got that. Why? Um, yeah. Why was it? In I, the... I find it annoying that it's it's in a trunk, you know, under some guy's shed. Like mm-hmm. I, I want to know where it came from, and if they don't ever address that, that's gonna really upset me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I really just think that that's 
like the early prototype of a Morgul blade. Mm-hmm. This kind of technology that Sauron is coming up with that is able to penetrate both realms of existence, mm-hmm. you know, the spiritual and the physical. And, and again, just just by the fact that the way it kind of like re I don't want to say reanimates, but like rebuilds itself. Yeah. Very, very much leans into the idea that this is like an exists in both worlds thing. Right. Because that's not something that that you would ever assume is like a natural thing in the world of Middle Earth. That a blade just rebuilds out of, it sucks your blood towards it and rebuilds out of dust. Exactly. So. Um, Now we have a transition back to um, Elrond and Gilgalad. mm Mm-hmm. And they're talking, and they're saying how they had to get Galadriel out of there because she might actually be responsible for bringing back the evil that she was hunting for. He has a good line about how, uh, this is paraphrasing, but the wind that would seek to blow out a fire may also help in spreading it. Yeah. Which I thought was a good good little metaphor. Yeah, it was. It was. It was uh, there was some really great dialogue there. Um, I, I want to bring up real quick, because it ties in with this scene, Galadriel jumping out of the ship. Mm-hmm. So we get this bit of like foreshadowing mm-hmm. with Gilgalad talking about how, you know, she might actually re-emerge this evil that she's hunting because she's so aggressively trying to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, that seemed like a bit of foreshadowing. So that would imply that Galadriel is doing something wrong by mm-hmm. jumping off the boat, right? So what I didn't like is if that's the premise and she jumps off the boat thinking about that little sweet, you know, bit of advice that her brother gave to her. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you're telling two things are conflicting here. It's either the right decision or it's the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. So her like recalling Finrod's quote, her brother's quote, Mm -hmm. um, and then using that as a justification to jump off the boat almost implies that she made the right decision there but if she brings back evil then wouldn't it have been the wrong decision well, well if you really wanted to like dive in to like the symbolic or not the symbolic but like the metaphorical meaning of his words coupled with um what elrond and, and uh and james comey talk about <laughs> i can never remember that guy's name aside from high king gilgala Gil- gilgala if you remember if you take into account the, those three things um, her brother Finrod's little little advice to her, plus their little conversation when she's leaving, plus her hesitance to go to Valinorn, and like you see her her conflict, and that she keeps looking back at the sword um, before she decides to jump off the boat. Um, there's kind of like a, a, a you could kind of interpret it as her brother's advice to her was essentially comes down to sometimes you don't know the difference between like right and wrong. Um, so you have to make a choice. Right. And, and if that choice is you know, the wrong choice, now you know going forward. Yeah. So it could be to her that she doesn't know if going to Valinor is the right choice or continuing her pursuit of uh, Sauron is the right choice. And taking his advice, she says, you know what? Like She's taking her feelings into account. I feel... And also, I guess you could add a fourth element to this: her conversation with Elrond, where she, where he's kind of like talking, he's talking to her in sort of an infantile way. He's like, "Going to Valinor will 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 heal these feelings," and she's like, "You'd have me go to Valinor with these feelings inside of me." And so, to her, 
she can't go to Valinor and be content and be happy because she needs to complete what in her mind is what's going to make her com- feel but that complete. is that is a level of rebellion though on mm-hmm. her part I guess but but at the same time it's like like in that moment where she has to choose and it, it's, it's literally right there it's Valinor here the sword here um, she chooses she chooses with what her internal logic says is the right choice right. which is ba- and we hear her internal logic in that conversation with Elrond where she says, "You like, I can't go back with all this inside of me. So here's what I want. I want the show to portray, as the seasons go, go on, that her doing that in the original ep- uh, first episode was the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. And I want that message to be clear. Because, so what That's we- what some people might call a character arc? So, <laughs> yes. So what we know from the lore is that, first of all, we do have context for um, her wanting to defeat Sauron um, fully Mm -hmm. as uh, an incentive for her wanting to stay in Middle-earth. But we also know from Tolkien that she actually was extremely proud and she did not want to go ask for forgiveness initially after, Mm -hmm. after the fall of Morgoth. The Noldor were supposed to kind of acknowledge that they had done something wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they shouldn't have left. They shouldn't have pursued Morgoth in their in their pride and their lust to kind of be there. Because one of the problems that some of the more restless personalities had in heaven was that they got they got bored essentially. Like mm-hmm. they wanted to taste what it felt like to have control over their own lands and not be under the thumb of these angelic beings that had control of everything around them. Well, well actually if you look at a little aside to that, if you look at Lord of the Rings, and when Frodo offers her the ring and she refuses it, that that could almost show and I don't know if That is. Yeah, no, that is her her character arc. Yeah, and, and I don't know if the she sh- says I will go into the west and remain Galadriel. And I don't know if the show is going to like have her character arc. Yeah, I don't know if the show's going to end with her character arc at some point arriving in that place for her to where when you see her refuse the ring with Frodo that uh, what you would hope for a good character arc is that throughout the course of the show she learns that that the path that she chose was the wrong one which is what influences her decision with Frodo later on when she's much older where she where she realizes that that taking the ring to be powerful and and because when you think about it doing things my way yes because taking the ring you know if she was to take the ring from Frodo you can only imagine that her goal at least through the context of rings of power would be to take that ring and use his power to defeat Sauron. Right. But the fact that she doesn't would show that would would show that she at some point in time learned that that is not her that 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 that, that is the stars in the water. Yeah. That 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 is looking down, not right. looking up. And I hope and that's that, what we'd like to see. Yes, I'd like to see the show have her character arrive at that place. So that way it's consistent with what you see in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I think we talked enough about Galadriel on the boat, right? Yeah, I mean, I think let's we should start to wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, it, it, if you want to keep talking about Galadriel and the boat, I think the second episode is better for that. You see a lot more of that in the second episode. Um, so I think I think you know, right? Um, so we want to talk about is that brief moment where Arondir is leading 
We, we forgot to mention Bronwyn. Yeah, we Bronwyn. forgot to mention the rotten cow's milk on yep. his hand. Um, that's <laughs> which I, I mean, this is like a nitpicky thing, but I mean, I if, if it hasn't been apparent already, um, I tend to notice these nitpicky things. He squeezes this black cow milk, this goo, into his hand, and he instead of like tipping his hand to the side to like let it pour out, he just kind of like lets it pour all over his hand. <laughs> and then the actor has this really awkward moment that I noticed where he like stands up and he's like going to go walk to whatever town with her. Um, and he like still has the goo on his hand and like there's, you see he like goes to grab for his bow and then he doesn't because his hand's covered in goo. And then he goes to grab for his cloak and he doesn't because of the goo. (laughs) And my thought was like, it, it like, again, nitpicky thing. Most people probably won't notice or care, but like, would it have been that hard to have it where he's crouched down with the goo on his hand if he just, like, scooped his hand in the dirt and, like, rubbed them together to get the goo off. Right. And then his, his hand, he's, his hands are, his hands been cleaned. Yeah. And instead of this awkward, like, and I see the actor want to, like, t- grab something. And he can't because his hand's covering goo. And yeah. I'm like, this is, it just made me chuckle a little bit. Yeah. What annoyed me, though, about the next part was, so they're walking to this, this town, Horden, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're having this discussion about the people of Horden because... This is the general location that they have been sent to where the cow was um, hypothetically grazing. I do want to add one little thing before this. That the scene we see with, um, with, with Arndir before he starts going walking with, um, with Bronwyn. Bar- um, um, Bronwyn. Um, <laughs> is he's talking, the commander tells him that line. Like the people there have strong, had strong allegiances to Morgoth, right? Yeah. And then when he's walking with her, back to what you're saying, he's walking with her. Yeah, he's walking with her, and then um, they're sitting there, and she's like, she says something like, I grew up in Horndon. I know the people there. Mm. And he's like, he just, so this entire exchange, and yeah, you know, you made the point, the shot does look beautiful. Yeah, it's a great looking shot. But the the dialogue here was so horrendously delivered, in my opinion. So flat and so inauthentic. Like when she goes... Well, he says the line. He, he says, says um, he says the people. He responds to her, and he's, he's like, "The the people of Horden had strong ties with Morgoth." Which, again, if you are like really into the lore, one point I want to make here is like that point alone is so silly. They mm-hmm. get to this village, and it's got like five houses, right? It's yeah, such I, a, I, I I did like a very quick guesstimate uh, looking at the houses. There's maybe 20, 25 houses there. Yeah, this is this isn't even a city. This is a small little village. Yeah, it, it's like <laughs> it's so specific to this one like particular area of like five houses that is so far away from where the events of the first age were taking place. I found it so comical because it'd be like if he, like when he says the people of the people of Horden had, had strong ties to Morgoth. It's like if Morgoth was in California, and I was like. The people of Egg Harbor Township, New Jersey, had strong ties to Morgan. It was just so oddly specific. The thing that I thought was funny and about comical, and then she is, and then she responds with these like lines that are like delivered in just a very like the acting wasn't very good silly there. way. Yeah, and she goes, "What did you just say? What did you just say? <laughs> what did you just say?" The thing that I thought was the funniest about that exchange was, and this is why I brought it up a second ago. The, his commander tells him the people in blah 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 had strong ties to Morgoth and then he pretty much repeats the line verbatim to her and what it made me think of is like 
like a fight, like a maybe I was too young, like an eight year old at like a family gathering, and then the dad says, you know, not to the kid, but just says with the kid next to him, he's like, he's like, man, Aunt Tilly sure has put on a lot of weight, and then the kid walks up to Aunt Tilly and is like, man, you sure have put on a lot of weight. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's like he, it's like he, the guy said the thing, and then he just kind of dumbly says the exact same thing verbatim, and it just seems like kind of childish. Where it's like, he, I, I, and it doesn't fit the character because we kind of know he doesn't buy into that. Yeah, yeah, like he, he that's a great he has, point. He has know? sympathy for these people. That's he likes great, them. That's a great point. You know, I didn't even think of that. Like he literally just got done. Well, he didn't say anything mm. when his superior makes that comment. To yeah. Him. Um, but, but then he can, makes the same comment. You can tell that he's having, like, he's conflicted about it. And for him to just go back and basically reiterate the same thing to mm. this woman that he's into. That's why it reminded me of a little kid. Where it's like a little kid overhears something that is not meant for other someone else to hear. And then they just go and repeat it verbatim because yeah. they're too dumb to realize, like, that is not something you say to the people affected by it yeah you know like 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 the you know oh so-and-so has gained a lot of weight like a kid wouldn't realize that you don't go up to that person and say you've gained a lot of weight like they would realize that like the person that said that didn't mean it for you to go and repeat it to them right and i think so, that yeah that's that scene just annoyed me but anyway let's move forward and, and let's wrap this up we'll talk about the stranger real yeah quick. this is this is the ending scene of episode one yeah so um for those of you who have followed me, you know, on Twitter, you've seen me talk about this before. There's nobody who falls from the sky uh, in a meteor. Uh, that that doesn't happen. As long as it's the right character, I won't have an issue with it. Um, I, For me to like that character, I want it to be one of the Blue Wizards. That's what I want. Those were the two members of the Istari, which was Gandalf's order of wizards that showed up to Middle Earth to kind of um, take care. So you're saying it's Gandalf? <laughs> it better not. I'm saying it better not be. Gandalf. You're telling me that Gandalf screamed at a little kid? <laughs> so, um, you know, Gandalf, Saruman, uh, and and Radagast they they show up in the Third Age, right? Mm. Uh, and the Blue Wizards, uh, Alatar and Palando, they show up in the Second Age, uh, and this originally they didn't show up till the Third Age. Um, and then some later notes um, uh, had had placed them in the second, actually mm-hmm. arriving before. Um, so I don't mind if the stranger is one of those. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's one of those, that begs the question: What happens to the other one? Now we don't know. Is mm-hmm. is are the showrunners maybe doing a, an amalgamation of the two characters and maybe just doing one? Um, or is it just one of the characters for whatever reason? I do have an interesting observation. What? So remember in the beginning of the episode when they go into the little science lab palace fortress thing and the elf, as I kind of mockingly said, he's like roasting his hand over the fire. I thought of that too. And she, and she said, that. and she says, this place is so evil, even warmth doesn't exist. Yes. When Nori goes down to, to the stranger, what is the first thing she notices? It's None of the hot. fire. All of, it's not hot. Yeah, I also See, thought. Of and, that. and the reason why it's interesting is because if they had had that in there with the stranger, but not mentioned it in the beginning, you wouldn't have context to say, "Oh, like fire not being hot is evil." Yeah, or so, at least that's what it was at the beginning of the episode. But it, but it kind of implies that, and granted, it could just be because it's magic, but 
the the fact that they mention in the beginning with that kind of like I said, it's a dumb looking scene. This guy's holding his hand in the fire, and it's like it's it's a little dumb looking. Yeah. And and he he immediately thinks he's like I'm so cold I can't feel my hands, which is like okay even if you can't feel your hands you're still like holding your hand in a fire yeah <laughs> like that's still not smart you're burning your skin, <laughs> but the fact that that the reason for that is because evil so evil it doesn't allow warmth to exist, it seems like it would be really dumb of them to mention that in the beginning and then have the fire with the stranger not be warm and have that just be not connected at all. Right. I, there's been so many like points of like, Hey, there's, there's something off with this guy. Yeah. Almost to the point where I think maybe it's an intentional misdirection and he's actually a good character. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he sna- when he's drawing the thing and the stick snaps and granted, this could just be just met. This could just timing. be, it yeah. could just be timing with editing, you know, like, like, Okay, he, he's drawing this. is this. in the second episode, by the way. Oh, yeah, I forgot the second episode. That's okay. But e- either way, point being that it's like, you know, it's like something bad, he, he snaps his stick as he's drawing his thing, and something bad happens to a character. So the, it, it, that's almost reinforcing that, like, and it, again, it could be misdirection. It yeah. could just be editing meant to misdirect the audience to think that he's maybe a bad character. Maybe they want to keep it, you know, maybe they want to keep you wondering. Yeah. And, and we don't know, and we can we can talk about it more, you know, when we do the uh, mm-hmm. review for the second episode. But that's that's my theory. Um, you know, people online think he could be Gandalf. That would be a a, a, a lore travesty that mm-hmm. like can't happen, because if that happens, then you have to account for where was Gandalf for everything else that happened during that time, mm-hmm. and it also it just wouldn't. It, it, that's not how it. It's something that's so blatant that I would be like, that's not something that I'm just willing to be okay with. I, I do have a question when it comes to theories of, of Sauron. Because I know there's been all these theories of like, who's Sauron going to be? Right. And, and again, this is the second episode, but there's a character in there who some people think, oh, maybe he's Sauron, you know? And then there was that image online of like the girl with the, like the shaved, close shaved head looking yeah. real evil. And people like, oh, maybe she's Sauron. Um, and then there's obviously some theories that maybe this guy from, from the sky is Sauron. Um, we like see Sauron in the montage. Remember? Yeah. So between that montage and the stranger falling, what happens to Sauron for someone that doesn't know all the lore? So what's happening immediately after the, the fall of Morgoth Mm. is Sauron is commanded to show up for judgment, right? Mm. And he he feigns that, and, and who knows? He might have actually. I I think there's there's a lot of people online who think that Sauron was really sorry, or mm. may have been truly um, remorseful for the things that he did. Didn't last if, long. <laughs> if you read the Silmarillion, some of the things that Sauron did were so cruel that I don't believe that at all. I think that give give, give me one of the t- the top three. There's a story from the Silmarillion where um, Sauron is trying to find the location of a specific group of people. And he captures one of their men Mm. and is torturing him. And this man had lost his wife. And he basically says, and I like this is off the top of my head, so I hope I'm not saying anything wrong. But um, he says to the guy, he shows her, he says, your your wife is alive. Mm. And he shows this man a vision 
of his wife. It's not real. It's mm-hmm. just Sauron messing with him and showing him an illusion. He's like, there she is. You you guys can be together. I will give I will give her to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy folds, you know, because yeah. he he misses his he misses his wife. He he lost, he thought she was dead. Sauron is like showing this this figure that looks like her to him. And the guy folds and gives over the location. And um, after he does that, Sauron, in the most like cruel way, just like laughs at him. Like told him, <laughs> just like describes how Sauron's just like laughing. But and he, then, he takes some great pleasure from yeah, this guy's yeah, suffering. Yeah, and he like retracts the vision and he's like, um, you know, he says something along the lines of, now you and your wife can be together forever. And then he kills the guy, you know, so it's like, she was never there. She's yeah. dead. And now you can be dead with her. Well, as he's like laughing at her, mm-hmm. you know, so like, and, and there's other examples too, where we are, it, it describes extreme cruelty. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after Morgoth falls, Sauron is terrified because, you know, he put all his eggs in this one basket and uh, their side lost. So he's commanded, he's acting like he, he wants to, wants forgiveness and then when they tell him to show up for judgment in in uh at the halls of mandos the halls of mandalorians (laughs) yeah the halls of mandalorians um he he goes you know he decides nope and he flees Mm. and he just goes off and hides and i'm assuming he hides for a very long time before he even makes himself known to anyone again because he's just like I, I think it was like to a point where he goes, oh, I guess they're not coming for me. Like yeah. I thought, <laughs> you know? So then he comes back out and he starts making like mischief again quietly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we get the forging of the rings and him appearing beautiful and calling himself Anatar. So the idea that he could have been this stranger who falls from the sky is not like completely impossible. They are impossible, I should say. Unpossible. Unpossible. <laughs> I I don't. It well to me is Sauron was already in Middle Earth, so mm. it wouldn't make sense why he would to arrive fall from the sky. Arrive in Middle Earth if he's already there. So so logically, like I guess the writers could do whatever they want, but so logically we could probably assume that the stranger is not Sauron. I that's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he could be, because they can do whatever they want. But yeah. They're certainly trying to imply that he is. It looked like a giant eyeball at the end of episode Which, one. again, could be that misdirection. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I think is an intentional misdirection, because it's so blatant. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, that about wraps it up. Did you have any final thoughts? Um, no, I think, um, like we said at the beginning, it's hard to talk about the first episode without blending the second episode into it, because you kind of just watch them back to back um i i think this show has a pretty strong start um there's not a lot story-wise that's gone on so far it's just been a a lot of threads have been started um but none of them have gone aside from gladriel none of them have really gone far enough to see to kind of game out where they're gonna go um if we look at uh, deer we we don't really know where his story is gonna lead um, we look at Theo, we have an idea where his story might lead, but we don't know for certain yet. And that would be more second episode talk, I think. Um, yeah, I, I think I think there's a lot of... They're taking a slow burn with it. Yeah. And which I think maybe some people won't like that. The fact that they have already committed to five seasons, 
I think allows them the room to do a slow burn. Um, because, you know, I think for most shows, you know, you make one season and you hope it has good reception and then you hope that you get greenlit for a season two and then a season three and a season four and et cetera, et cetera. So for example, um, House of the Dragon um, got greenlit for season two. After, I think after the second episode came out, it had like, you know, really good viewing numbers and they greenlit it for season two. But even just considering that alone, they're making season one of House of the Dragon hoping that they get a season two, but they didn't have it guaranteed. Right. Rings of Power knows they have five seasons guaranteed. Yeah. So I think that that does give them more room to, to slowly dole things out. Yeah, and that's what I'd like to see because I, I want a, a heavily, you know, fleshed out story. I think at this point, you know, it's their show to make suck. You know, <laughs> I think that they have a slow start and a start that bothered me in some areas of the lore. But I think the show is like you said, competent. I think that that's a good word. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that they really have room to explore some interesting storylines. And they're definitely um, gunning for a big audience with this. I mean, considering how much they're spending on it. Yeah. And I, I pointed out to you earlier when we were just kind of reviewing some of the, the scenes from the first episode. Uh, this show, not only does it have subtitles in like, I don't know, 20 languages or more, it has um, audio dubs in like tw in this all the same twenty or more languages. Yeah. So they're very, uh, which um, you know that that can't be easy or cheap at all. I mean, you know, it, it's for some shows it's difficult enough to get an audio dub in a second language, and they're you know you can watch this show whatever language you speak. It seems like you can watch it in your native language. So they're definitely gunning for big broad appeal, which is a little bit concerning. It, because you don't want them to dumb down too much lore stuff to to try and make it easily digestible for a mass audience. Yeah. But again, that's where I hope the fact that they have five seasons gives them the room to not worry about it too much. Yeah, and and another thing that like I keep in mind, you know, the meat of what's actually what actually could make this show a hit. Um, you know, that hasn't even been remotely touched yet. Mm -hmm. You know, what's going to be interesting is watching the rings get made. What's going to be interesting mm -hmm. is watching Sauron create the ring wraiths. Mm -hmm. What's going to be interesting is seeing the court intrigue of Numenor and how Farazhan, spoiler alert, <laughs> you know, steals the throne from Muriel. Um, and that stuff is like, when you think about where you're at now in the show, it seems so far away. Mm -hmm. But that's going to be like where the heavy hitting storylines come from. So I think that there's a lot of potential. You know, I already want to know what happens next week. Mm -hmm. um, and we're not even there yet, you know. So we'll see. I want to see more. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining me, Josh. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. Got a long one today. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Check out the next episode and uh, follow uh, Middle Earth Mixer on, uh, on Twitter. Correct. Do that.